Okay, so we're going to be in the book of Jonah today. So if you have brought your Bibles, you can take it out. I'm not going to get there right yet, but the book of Jonah, um, he's in the Minor Prophets, so near the back of the Old Testament, and he's only four chapters long. That's why I say book of Jonah. We're going to be in the second half of the book of Jonah. So when you move to a new community, and I've done a lot of moving, um, both and just when we were first married and going off to seminary, and then as a pastor, I've served in three churches. You're my third. Um, you get to know communities, and I have loved every place I lived, and I've loved getting to know um, the culture and the flavor of that place. One of the most interesting was when we moved to Kentucky, and you can know a lot about a place by their community event. And in Kentucky, we lived in a little town called Nicholasville, which people called Hickelisville for a reason. Um, but we liked Nicholasville, and they had something called the Jessamine Jamboree. Okay, and I have never seen a more extensive display of Confederate flags in my life than at the Jessamine Jamboree. It was almost like a prerequisite for being there is that you had to have a Confederate flag somewhere. And so that was an interesting event to get to know the community in that way. Then we moved to San Angelo. And San Angelo had a 4th of July fireworks display. And what I really remember about that was that the fire department helped sponsor it. And the key, one of the key events was the fireworks. But before that, the other key event was it's very dry in San Angelo. We are always out there praying for rain. And it's just, it seems to be getting drier and drier. And so one of the key events was the fire truck would plug into the Concho River, which was pretty stagnant. It was a damned river and not... Like a dam, y'all, not like, okay. So it was, it was stagnant, and they'd, pump, they'd put the hose in, and then they would shoot out this giant stream of water over the river, and everyone would go, oh, because it was so much water. I mean, it, whoa. And so Kevin and I kind of were like, the key event is that the fire truck sprays the water. Okay, so then we moved to New Braunfels, and their, their key event is the Comal County Fair, where you can enter your baked goods. Like, it's the biggest state fair or county fair in Texas. So you can enter baked goods. You can enter photography, pictures. Uh, you can enter your prized goat. I mean, there are whole places where you can have your chickens and roosters and ducks and stalls for goats and sheep and, I mean, all this kind of stuff. And that's where there's a little petting zoo for kids, all totally free, and they have all these little baby chicks, and my daughters told me, little kids, I love picking up chicks. I was like, okay, don't say that again, okay. So that's, um, that's what those, those different towns have. So when I got here, I started asking around, what are our community events? Like, what's the big thing? Do we have a fair? Do we have a time when the fire truck shoots the water? I mean, what's the thing that we, that we do? And you kind of sheepishly told me, well, uh, we have the Spicewood Derby. And I was like, yeah, the Spicewood Derby. And I said, well, what is the Derby? I was thinking, you know, I wasn't thinking what it was. Um, And somebody said, well, you have to go look for God there. You know we're in the series. This is the last one about finding God. Derby was last weekend, and it's a demolition derby. Okay, I have to admit, I have never been to a demolition derby. Like when Kevin says, hey, it's date night, what do you want to do? I'm not like, you know what, let's take in a monster truck show. Or, um, you know what, WWF's in town. Let's go see the World Wrestling Entertainment now, right? Likewise, I wouldn't have been like, let's go see some cars bash into each other. Okay, let's go do that. But this is the key event in Spicewood, one of them. It's a fundraiser for the Volunteer Fire Department, which I also find interesting because 
you know, they they ha- they were called into service a lot at the Derby. So I guess they knew that, you know, they could be of use here. And so they're sponsoring the chaos is what I'm trying to say. So I, I went looking for God, okay? And I had to have the man next to me explain to me what a derby was. I honestly thought, I knew it was cars crashing, but I thought maybe it was like two. I thought they'd put two in the ring and you'd hit each other until one of them didn't work anymore. And so I was really surprised that they put like four or five out there. It's just total chaos. And they all start, I was a little nervous because the one with the busted radiator came and pulled it right up to us. I'm like, it's that thing. I mean, water's just out of it. And I was like, if that blows, it's going to blow all over us, right? And so they all back, they all get in the ring, taillights facing in, the air horn blows, and boom, let the crunch begin. They floor it in reverse and try to hit each other. And so this guy's like, you try to hit in reverse so that you don't damage your engine. You can't hit on the driver's side door because that's dangerous. This isn't, right, but hitting the driver's side door. So there's an X there. Um, What else? You, you have to make a hit within two minutes or you're out for sandbagging. That's what I'd be doing, driving around the edge. Like. Um, and the Chrysler Imperial is banned because it is totally indestructible. Like it, it did demolition derbies and it could not be beaten. This car is just like the colossus of demolition derbies. So you cannot bring, if you look online, and I did a little bit of research, Every entry form says no Chrysler Imperials. It's just you can't bring them. Okay, so while we waited for the crunch and munch to begin, I looked around at the Spicewood folks around me, okay? I was, first of all, let me say, I was sitting in a place where there were seats, a few seats. You kind of had to, like, ask people if they would sit beside you, and they're squirrely people at the Derby. Look at these squirrely people. Yeah. You may know them, just, you know. So I'm on this side, same side as them. The heat, the sun was oppressive. I mean, it was like right where that projector is. It just beating down on us. And I thought, this better be good because this is so hot. And so I'm looking around, and it was a BYOB event. And people did, okay? So there was this kid sitting on a cooler, a seven-year-old kid. And the family all up in the stands would be like, hey, I need a Bud, or hey, I need a Miller, or, you know, I need a whatever. And they were ordering different things, and the kid would open it up and, like, find the right can and send it, or bottle, send it up. He knew the differences between those beer varieties. Um, there, was, there were these groups of bikers, and one of the largest and slightly drunk ones kept coming and standing right in front of me. And you wouldn't think I would have loved that, but... That beer belly was so welcome because he was blocking out the sun. (laughs) I was like, sir, you can stand there all day, you know, because this view is better than the sun. That's where I should have found God. There are scriptures about that, which I contemplated. But I'll leave you to try to find those scriptures. Um, And then next to Kevin, poor Kevin got kind of separated from us because people kept like, horning in on seats, and Kevin's not going to, like, throw down with people. But he did see um, somebody who almost did. He's like, these two ladies next to me were about to throw down. Like, he thought they were going to get in a fight because one took a seat and, like, took the cooler and sat on top of it and blocked the view from where her kids were. And she got up and was like, how would you like it if I did this? And Kevin was like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to separate these ladies, but it didn't come to blows. Um, So needless to say, oh, one more thing. I have never seen a more representative display of tattooed grandmothers in my life than at the Spicewood Derby. 
So y'all, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and, you know, there's a few church folks who I, I asked, would you come look for God with me at the Spicewood Derby? And so they gamely showed up. Um, and I'm looking around and I'm kind of thinking, you know, if this is the kind of clientele at the Derby, I don't think this is going to be my thing. What a surprise. Round one begins. That was awesome. It was so fun. I hate to admit it. I'm, I feel a little sheepish admitting it. It was fun, okay? Guilty fun, but fun. So what I want to show you, um, this is my Facebook page. If y'all haven't met me on Facebook yet, I post all kinds of silly things, and I invite you to do it too. Come be my friend, and we'll, I'll show you these things. I posted this video of the car demolition. So if you want to see how much fun it was, check this out. That car won, just so you know. <laughs> okay, so awesome, right? Um, so I had brought my children. I really debated that. Like, do you take your kids to a demolition derby? The answer is absolutely you do. Because as soon as my kids saw that, they were like, oh. they, and so the round ends and they, you know, the bulldozer flips the car back over and they drag them out with chains or push them out. And Anna and Leah are like, when's the next one? Is there another one? This is awesome. And I, you know, they're melting in the sun. We've drunk in all of our water. And I was like, you know, can we handle this? Yes. We are staying for the next time. And I asked little, I brought my friend Amber. This was a adventure, you know, to be like, Hey, come with me to the demolition derby. And she had her little girl, Edith, and Edith was just like sweat running off of her. I mean, she's the most precious child. And she was just sitting there like that. And I was like, Edith, sweetie, what did you think? And she looked at me and she said one word, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. I, I loved it too. I mean, and that was before the car caught fire. And the firefighters had to rush out and, you know, douse it with fire retardant. And that was before the shark car. Did y'all get to see the shark car yet? Yeah. That was before the shark car got its eyeball popped out in a crunch. And that was before the grand finale when the cars were laying like broken, smoking things and the 911 car finally like slowly ground the other one down into the ground. I liked it, y'all. I'm a little embarrassed, but I really did like it. I guess I fit in with Spicewood. And waiting for the next round of destruction was hard. I mean, I was kind of like, okay, let's get the waiting over. I know you're throwing the T-shirts and you have to clear away the debris, but let the destruction begin again. Um, I wanted to see the flips. I wanted to see the fires. I wanted to see the crashes. It, bring it on. You know, it was fun. And that's what brings us to the book of Jonah. You might not know it, and this, you may not think my transition works, but hang with me. Jonah was down with the demolition derby. He liked the destruction. You wouldn't know that, though, because probably what you've ever read about Jonah is in the first two chapters. <clears throat> so what do we know about Jonah? What's his story? He was swallowed by a whale. Why was he swallowed by a fish? What had he done? 
He had, what? He had disobeyed God, right. So we have in Jonah 1.1, the Lord gave Jonah this message, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. And Jonah was like, nope, not today. And he ran away. Nineveh was over the land, and Jonah went over the sea trying to get as far away from God as possible. And in the midst of that ordeal, he gets swallowed by a great fish and um, repents, as you might if you were in the belly of a fish, and is thrown up onto the land. And so let's go to chapter 3 after all of that drama. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Ah, God of second chances. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Okay, so let's think about why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Probably we don't know much about Nineveh anymore, except for it was the capital of Assyria. And now if I said the word Assyria in Jonah's time, people would have made faces, they would have shuddered. Assyria was the world power, and they were not good guys. They were brutal. They, they were like, I was trying to think of who they were like, and it would be like the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War, mixed with the economic power of China right now, mixed with the insanity in North Korea and Iran. So now think about that all mixed together, that power and the economic thing, and they were taking over the world. Um, you can think of them like Nazis almost. They were, they were terrifying. And God is sending Jonah there to say, he's had enough of them, and their destruction is not far off. So what I would think when God gives Jonah this, this assignment and he runs away is what? Why is he running? He's terrified, right? I mean, y'all know what happens if you accidentally hike into Iran, right? You're thrown into jail just for hiking. God is saying, go evangelize the Nazis, right? Go tell them that the time is up. And so we would expect that Jonah is running away because he is terrified. But in actuality, he is running away because he doesn't want them to ever get that message. Look at, look at this. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. So it's a big city, 120,000 people at that time. To walk through it and actually see it, you'd need three days. On the day Jonah, a foreigner, enters the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. Okay, so he, he doesn't have a problem with bravery. He just gets it out there, right? The interesting thing is how short this prophecy is. I think perhaps this is, and we can look this up, but I think this may be the shortest prophecy in the whole Bible. If you go to the other prophets, to Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel, they are giving lots of words. Definitely more than one sentence, right? Because the point of prophecy is not um, so that you know God is going to kill you before he does. It's so that you have time to turn around. God always sends prophets to people so that you can have a chance to change your mind. And Jonah is saying, I don't want to give them that chance. And when he goes in here, we know that he doesn't because all he says is one line. Forty days from now, the demolition derby is starting, right? There's no way to get out of it. He doesn't say it's because of this behavior. He doesn't say, but God will be merciful if you only turn. He just kind of does the bare minimum. When you've been swallowed by a fish, you don't want to do that again. He goes and does the bare minimum in Nineveh. Well, the interesting thing is, 
I wouldn't have expected Nineveh to have listened to this foreigner shouting to them that even in the might of their power, you know, at the zenith of their power, they they were going to be destroyed. I would expect them to destroy him. Um, We see that a lot of actually God's people who are kings, when they hear a prophet say, this is not right, they try to destroy the prophet. Think about John the Baptist and how he was beheaded. Um, But they don't, actually. What happens is when they hear this message, they repent. Look at verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. And he tells all the people in his town, do the same. So he takes off the royal robes. He's sitting in a burlap sack in ashes. It's a sign of mourning. Nobody eats or drinks for three days. They don't even let the animals eat to show God how serious they are about being sorry. And God, who had the Chrysler Imperial ready to destroy them, sees this. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God always is giving us a chance for him to turn off the Chrysler Imperial and to get out of the way and to stop the destruction. Okay, so the people are saved. Now here's why I say Jonah was into destruction. Because all the people are happy. Jonah is angry. Look at, verse, look at chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Didn't didn't I say you'd be forgiving? I didn't want you to. That's why I got out of here. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Me, not so much. Right? Let it begin. Bring it on. These people are evil. I want to see them go down. I don't want to see them saved. And so Jonah goes out to, the, to a hill in the desert outside the city and sits there with his arms crossed waiting to see if God will go ahead and destroy him because he's mad, right? And he fasts. It's kind of like a mockery of their fast. He is fasting to say how worthless these people are, how evil they've been, and y'all, they have been, but they changed their minds. And so Jonah's out there saying, even though they change their minds, even though they turn from their evil, still, Lord, bring the destruction on their heads. He's like, here's the keys. Start the imperial. Let's get it going. And so God helps. God becomes a prophet to his own prophet. And he has a plant grow up. Um, You can find that, let's see, in verse 6. The Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. Anybody at the Derby would have liked a shady plant. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So Jonah becomes very attached to this plant, and then God sends a little worm, and the plant is eaten and dies. And Jonah is heartbroken over the death of the plant. And God comes up to Jonah in that moment when he can't feel compassion for 120,000 people but can for a plant and says, Really? Really, is this who I'm calling you to be? Now, a lot of us, when we think about sin, because at this point Jonah was sinning, we think about sin as something that we do, something that we've said, an action that we have committed that is contrary to the will of God. 
But I think God would also teach us that there are times that we sin because we refuse to do what God is asking us to do. Because there's a demolition derby about to start um, on someone's soul, and we think, if ever anybody deserved it, it's that person. And don't let me be the one to blow the air horn to stop it. And I got to thinking about this, and I realized I'm guilty of this. We are all guilty of having certain people who we think, I hope they never have a chance to turn around. Um, My grandfather, when I was a little kid, my papa would watch the news sometimes, and I remember him shaking his head and saying, some people just need to be taken out and shot. Did anybody ever say that in your family? Maybe it's just mine. Some people just need to be taken out and shot. And we have that feeling. Um, When I see CEOs who gave themselves a golden parachute while they flush their employees' economic futures down the drain, I'm angry. I get what Jonah was feeling. Um, When I see people who did like that home invasion in Connecticut, it would be very hard for me to say, to go to them and say, God wants to forgive you for that because they're so violent and so brutal. Um, When Summer and I were talking about how the other day she was at a restaurant with a friend and she saw Jesse James there. Um, He's the one who used to be married to Sandra Bullock, right? Sandra Bullock is our sweetheart. I mean, and Jesse James, what what an idiot. I mean, that's a sin. and, And yet she said, you know, you cannot justify that behavior, but looking at him, everyone in the world hates that man hates him, doesn't want to go up and say, hey, I know you've really made a train wreck of this life of yours. There's another way. We're just like, well, you did it. Let the derby begin. Right? And I think as we read the book of Jonah, and as I was at the derby, I realized the derby is good fun. Even though it looked like it to me at certain times, I don't think lives were truly at stake there. Right? It's just fun, and those cars are made for that. But oftentimes people in this world get into a demolition derby with their own hearts, with their own souls. And when we look at all of the destruction they have caused, just like the people of Nineveh, we could want to sit on the sidelines and be like, bring it on, because it's time for a reckoning, and here it comes. God calls us to the space that he called Jonah to. To say to us, we need to care about people who are perishing. Enough to say, not that all of the consequences go away, but just that your heart can be set right. If you are so broken as to commit these atrocities, you need God in here to put that right again. And if it could go right again, that would be better than seeing that person destroyed. No matter how much they deserve it. So God comes up to Jonah and he says, hey, you're really compassionate about this plant, but you have no compassion for these people. Is that the right way to be? And then the book of Jonah ends. It ends with a question mark. That's the last punctuation mark. It's God's question to Jonah. Whenever I see an ending like that, I believe it's left that way so that as we read this story, as we talk about it, we supply the ending. Not what Jonah did because we don't know. But when we come to this situation and we realize we care about a plant, but we don't care about a person, what will we do? Will we have the courage to say, okay, 
God, when you call me out of the stands and you give me an air horn, I will do my best to sound it so that destruction can be averted. I hope so. Because if we can do that, then we will have found God at the derby and we will be able to prevent those destructive ones and enjoy the one fun one. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you call us into some hard spaces. You certainly called Jonah um, into a challenging trial to preach your words to a people that he didn't like at all and to try to offer them mercy like you did. And so, Lord, we know that in our lives there are people who we, have, we struggle with offering your mercy to. Sometimes it's just in our hearts because we're never going to meet them, but we, we are still angry at them and at what they have done. And so sometimes, though, it's people closer to us, and we still struggle. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn to be more like you, slow to anger, compassionate, ready to throw the keys of the imperial out the window and offer mercy instead of destruction. So when you call us, Lord, when you call us into the thick of it um, to help avert disaster for someone, help us, Lord, to answer you and um, to blow the air horn so that we can help you save the people you so dearly love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.